Truth Jihad Radio is 100% crowdfunded and therefore fearless and independent. Please help us stay that way. You can subscribe at my Substack. That's kevinbarrett.substack.com. Or you could send a one-time PayPal donation to truthjihad at gmail.com. Welcome back. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, getting going with uh, another hour of first-rate radio, bringing on people who can write as well as speak, who have the most interesting and provocative ideas that are being mostly ignored by the corporate mainstream. Tonight, I'm happy to bring back Ron Unz of the Unz Review, who's been on the show quite a few times. He's a go-to source for really well-thought-out and uh, detailed and convincing arguments on many of the most important topics out there, especially ones that have been neglected elsewhere. And he has a new series out on the neoconservatives. The latest installment is called The Neocons and Their Rise to Power. And the two previous installments were Dislodging the Neocons, Difficult but Necessary, and Did the Neocons Save the World from the Thucydides Trap? Really excellent points in these articles, so we're going to talk about those. Unfortunately, I can't really argue against anything in those articles, but Ron wants to argue against some stuff in my article, uh, Chomsky's Ties to Jeffrey Epstein and Suspected 9-11 Mastermind Ehud Barak Exposed. And we'll also argue a little bit about Cheney and Rumsfeld and their degree of complicity, if any, in 9-11. So uh, it's, he, he has all the advantage here because Ron's going to critique me more than I'm going to critique him. But, hey, let's go to it. So, hey, welcome, Ron. How are you? Hey, great to be here. So here is an extract from my argument with Ron for the benefit of my non-paying Substack subscribers. And so, you know, certainly there would have been a very strong assaulting of individuals extremely supportive of Israel all through a, uh, a Gore administration. And so, you know, it seems to me that, I, I, again, I, it's very difficult to judge the exact details of the 9-11 attack, how, when exactly they were, or, when they were organized, the circumstances of them. But I, I, I think you could have made a case that a Gore administration would have been probably considered more supportive of Israel, more aligned with Israel than the Bush administration was. Because, I mean, the whole thing about it is the neocons in the uh, in the 2000 race ended up putting all their cards, all their chips behind the John McCain nomination. And so they ended up being defeated in the Republican primaries. And the Bush people basically retaliated very sharply against them. Not a single neocon got a cabinet-level appointment under uh, under Bush. And the neocons really were viewed as being a spent force at that point. The key thing people didn't realize, though, is that the neocons had become so overwhelmingly dominant in the Republican foreign policy establishment that they ended up getting a lot of lower-level appointments that nobody paid attention to. So, for example, you had a situation where, for example, someone like Douglas Fight or Paul Wolfowitz, the deputy uh, defense secretary, or Scooter Libby, uh, Dick Cheney's chief of staff. I mean, individuals basically, I, I don't even think most of them, uh, anybody paid any attention to their confirmation hearings. I mean, they seem basically very much second-tier people compared to cabinet appointments. But they were in a key position so that after the 9-11 attacks, they were able to swing the entire administration 
behind the policies that they advocated with regard to the Iraq war, with regard to Afghanistan, with regard to the entire Middle East. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, I actually had an interesting argument with John Nichols in which I guess I took sort of the opposite side of the argument I would take with you. He uh, argued that if the Supreme coup hadn't happened and, you know, Gore and Lieberman, I believe it was, uh, were... Oh, Lieberman, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. If, Joseph so, Lieberman, I should have thought. Right. So he, he said, oh, Gore, you know, if, if Gore... John, John Nichols agreed with me at that. This was uh, in 2006. It was the day, the, the same day that I had suddenly exploded onto the headlines. And I just happened to run into him at the post office and we sat down and had a long conversation and he let it be known that he knew that indeed 9-11 had been a false flag. He let it be known that he had read Gore Vidal's book or essay, Goat Song, and Nafis Ahmed, and he looked at Paul Thompson's complete 9-11 timeline, and he, he, knew, he got it. So uh, one of the interesting things that came up, though, was he said, you know, if, if we hadn't let Bush and Cheney steal the election, 9-11 never would have happened. And my response was, I don't agree. I think that, you know, I think it was run and here's where you and I are going to disagree, Ron, I, I think that they had to have control of the top of the command chain to make it work in the same way that the top of the command chain was involved in the Liberty attack, uh, namely Johnson, that um, FDR was more or less in the loop on Pearl Harbor, and uh, you know, that people around Wilson would have had to go along with uh, the Lusitania and Zimmerman Telegram, and uh, Rose, Theodore Roosevelt would have been part of the war party that sank the Maine, and uh, James K. Polk would have been uh, amenable to the war party that provoked the Mexican War with a, essentially a false flag event, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, uh, my, my take on it was that just you know, 9-11, I think, was the guy at the top of the command chain who made sure that things didn't spin off the rails was Dick Cheney. And John Nichols totally agrees with me on that. He's written several books on Cheney. Uh, but I said that Lieberman would have done the same thing, that it was it was scripted probably during the Clinton years to be, in a sense, run out of the vice president's office as the president was sort of taken aside and removed from the command chain. Um, in any well, case, you know, yeah, go ahead. You, right. I'm sure you'll well, push you know, back against that. Sure. Well, you know, again, on some of those historical incidents, I, I'd say probably some of them are more solidly documented than others. And, you know, some of them are, I think, more, you know, really speculative, though admittedly I haven't really looked into all of them. But with regard to the Bush administration, I mean, I, I've really thought, you know, the 9-11 uh, truthers really made a severe mistake by focusing so heavily on Cheney and Rumsfeld, I, I really think it's extremely unlikely that either of them were involved in 9-11 in any significant way. I mean, I'm not saying that they didn't take actions that supported the 9-11 attacks or, in a sense, leave openings, but I very much doubt they did so knowingly. I mean, the whole thing about it is the inside job model that you know the 9/11 truthers advocated from very early on, including I think in some of the films and the I guess it's the loose change model, you know has been the Cheneyums Rumsfeld were sort of the key figures behind an inside job that led to the 9/11 attacks, and I really regard that as extraordinarily implausible. I mean the inside job model is that the attacks were 
basically carried out or involved American forces. And, you know, in the entire history of the world, I think it's very difficult to find any case anywhere where you had a country whose own government organized attacks on its most important financial and military centers, you know, the World Trade Center and in New York City and the uh, Pentagon in D.C. It just, it's a very, very, I mean, I I can't think of any comparable example in history. Well, well, let let me me push back a little against that in in that, yeah, you're right that it was certainly a much larger scale uh, version of what we've seen over and over in history as uh, wars are routinely started by countries that are stronger than their opponent, because obviously weaker countries have no use in going to war. So in order to go to war, the strong country has to convince its population that it's being attacked. And so routinely, uh, nations' militaries attack their own people and forces and kill substantial numbers of them sometimes in these attacks. That's all normal. And that indeed, if you want to attack a country, by far the easiest way to do it and make sure that you're almost 100% certain of getting away with it is to do it from within as a false flag using the military of that very country. Why? Because there's no opposition. If you want to attack Russia using somebody else's military, you have a problem because there's a huge Russian military and security apparatus designed to stop you. However, if you attack Russia with your own military, which they did when they blew up the apartments and uh, cemented Putin's power, uh, well, actually it was the KGB or whatever, but same thing, uh, it's really easy to get away with it. Nobody's trying to stop you. So uh, I, I, my model is that these kinds of things typically involve the top of the command chain. Certainly, Johnson was very much involved in the Liberty attack. Uh, you've written a review of Operation Cyanide by Peter Hunnam that I think that book documents it pretty clearly, and we could go over a lot of these other cases as well. So my model would be that uh, these kinds of false flag war trigger attacks are totally routine. They're the basic way that a, uh, that a war begins, the powerful country's only way of starting a war against a less powerful country, and that these attacks against their own forces and people are indeed routinely carried out by militaries, and they teach false flag attacks in military academies as a routine subject. Uh, so so I, I don't think it's at all uh, absurd to think that the acting top of the command chain, which was Cheney because Bush was kidnapped against his direct orders and taken to these various air, two air bases that day, leaving Cheney in charge, I think suspecting Cheney. And then when you find out that Cheney has, has lied outrageously about what he was doing and that the uh, military has backed him up lying, and when you see that the U.S. military was obviously involved in this attack with its uh, fighter jet non-response, among other things, uh, with its turning off the defenses to the Pentagon, and so on and so forth, that I, I don't think it's the least bit uh, unusual, much less ridiculous, to posit that Cheney and indeed Rumsfeld, to a lesser extent, would have had to have been part of the war party that was was party to this, just like there was a war party party to setting up Pearl Harbor, to setting up all of these other events. Oh, I, I'm extremely skeptical of that model. I mean, again, the whole thing is, Cheney and Rumsfeld were basically Bush Republicans. I mean, they basically had been in public life. They'd been the two top figures in the Gerald Ford administration 20 years or 25 years earlier. I mean, the notion, for example, the Gerald Ford Republicans staging the destruction of the World Trade Center and an attack on the Pentagon is not something that comes across as very plausible. Well, have you read John Nichols' books on Cheney? 
I mean, Ch- Cheney's no, whole career has been devoted to trying to get rid of the interference of uh, of, of the of elected officials, like starting with Congress, in carrying out hard nosed criminal base criminal aggressive foreign policy. Cheney was a conservative. I mean, basically, the whole thing about it is, you know, I, again, I haven't read that particular book by Nichols, but I mean, a several. lot of leftists, okay, a lot of leftists and liberals have this sort of cartoon image of conservatives as being like Dr. Evils who plan to, like, destroy America or destroy our civil liberties. I mean, basically, I mean, Cheney and Rumsfeld were basically corporate Bush Republicans. I mean, when when they came in office, uh, the main thing Cheney folk, the main thing uh, Rumsfeld focused on, was like increasing the efficiency of the Pentagon, cutting some departments, increasing other departments. And Cheney, I think, was mostly focused on tax cuts and reducing environmental legislation. I mean, they were basically just standard Bush Republicans, Ford Bush Ford Republicans. Now, the whole thing about it is. Beneath them, I mean, Cheney, for example, at that time, I mean, I I think Cheney was, what, about in his 60s at that point, but he had already three or four heart attacks. His first heart attack was at the age of 37. Rumsfeld, I think, was probably in his early 70s by that point. I mean, they were both fairly elderly individuals. I mean, certainly not physically as strong as they had been when they were younger. The people beneath them, their key advisors, their key aides, I think may have been people who were very much aligned with the attacks, either knowingly or unknowingly. But I think it's extraordinarily unlikely that Cheney or Rumsfeld themselves were involved. I mean, here's the other point I would make. The the 2000 election was the closest election in American history. It was de- decided by the hanging chads in Florida and a five to four Supreme Court decision. Half the country, half the United States electorate, viewed Bush as a totally illegitimate president. And that half probably included 95% of the American media. So imagine a scenario where this illegitimate president, elected by the hanging chads in the Supreme Court vote in Florida, comes into office. And the first thing that he and his advisors do is go to the CIA and the Pentagon say that they ha- saying that they have a plan to attack the World Trade Center and the uh, Pentagon itself. I mean, it's the sort of thing they would have been regarded as lunatic. You can hear the entire interview by becoming a paid subscriber at kevinbarrett.substack.com.